Welcome to the Garage Podcast, presented to you by the Young Adults Group at Salem First Baptist Church. Thanks for tuning in to hear this week's message. All right. So if any of you don't know me, which is probably an okay amount of you, although I've been around for a while, my name is Philip Smith. Um, I'm 25 years old. I was pretty much born and raised in this church. I was the first group in the nursery way back in Nam. Um, ever since, I, I've been in this group all the way from middle school, high school. I came to the Arundel group when I was 18. After I graduated high school, I've been here ever since. Uh, back when I first started, the group was actually much smaller. If we had 45 people, that was considered a huge evening. And now if we have 45 people, um, that is an anomaly. That's like a small event. So it is absolutely astounding to see how much the group has grown over the years. It's been really cool to be a part of that. But what are we talking about today? Well, as Tyler mentioned last week, we're going to continue on with our apologetic series and today we're actually going to be tackling the issue of creation, which is one of my favorite topics to talk about, and it's something that I honestly feel like gets skipped a lot, because there's really two sections of apologetics that are generally talked about. We have what we're going over this year, which is the defense of the faith uh, in regards to whether the inherency of the Bible is true or not. We're going to talk about... uh, whether or not Jesus was actually a person who lived and died. And then on the flip side, what we talked about last year is the idea of an apologetic surrounding whether or not Christianity is the one true religion, or if there's other religions that are true as well, or if no religions are true as well. And we go through the different religions week by week. And so that was last year. This year we're going through more uh, the scripture-based, whether or not it's true, as well as looking at the apologetics from an outside perspective to see whether or not God is the one true God. And so again, today we're going to be talking about creation. But the reason that I say that it is something that isn't really talked about as much, is it is something that is generally skipped over. We like to say God created the earth, but we don't like to get into that conversation of was it six days, was it billions of years, and today we're going to go over that conversation today, and my goal isn't necessarily to come away and say, hey, this is the one single stance you need to take in order to be a Christian. The whole point is to be able to open your eyes and give yourselves an explanation so that way if you do have someone who confronts you and states an opinion or a what they believe that is something that is different from yourself, you're not put in a position where you're saying, crap, I don't know how to answer this. I feel inadequate to. I didn't study this area of science and I have no response to them. What I'm hoping to provide for you guys today is a way that you could step your foot into the door and be able to have a conversation with someone that will then break down that barrier of having this, this issue with creation and how long it took and so that way you're able to move forward into further relationship with them. So uh, just out of curiosity, who here was actually taught the Big Bang in school? Raise your hand if you were. Okay, actually a lot less than I was anticipating. I, I figured there'd be some because a lot of you guys went to private school or maybe it wasn't just something that was taught. But I was taught Big Bang in school. We got it in our sophomore year for us. It was our uh, um, biology class was when we first learned about it in more specific detail. So that was just out of curiosity. But uh, if you guys have your Bibles, uh, surprise, surprise, if you'd open up to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, yeah, I know who would have thought that we'd be there today. I decided I'd be crazy and we're going to that if we're going to learn about creation. So Genesis chapter 1. So before we actually get started, though, into what creation looks like and what happened, we first need to establish a similar base to stand upon. The first thing is we need to understand that science and the Bible are not at odds. They are different perspectives on the world. So therefore, it's not an issue of whether or not one is true and that invalidates the other. You don't have to argue science to be a fact, which then invalidates the Bible. Or you don't have to argue the Bible to be a fact in order to invalidate science. They are things that beautifully complement each other, which I absolutely love. And we need to start from that base. Why? Because you have to understand God created everything. So science is simply an explanation of God's work. 
when you look at the Bible more specifically, the Bible is a story about a very specific family line, about following Israel all the way up to the birth of Christ, and then all the way through to the new earth that is created. And again, when you look at science books, on the flip side, it is simply an explanation of what is there. So when you have that in mind, and you look at the creation story, you have to understand that you're reading this not from a perspective where you're getting this scientific explanation of exactly what happened. You have to understand that it is written for a specific point. There is meant for you to get something out of this story. So, what are you supposed to get out of this story? Well, that's part of what the goal of what this conversation is leading towards. The first is to understand how the world is made. And secondly, is to help you to understand that there is that story and what it looks like. And that that the Bible provides a perspective that beautifully complements everything that science provides. So, let's start again back in Genesis chapter 1 all the way through chapter 2 verse 3 is the story of creation. Who was it written by? Well, we believe that the book of Genesis, or at least a lot of it, was written by Moses. Um, If you guys know who Moses is, he's the one who led the Israelites in exile out of Egypt. I'm pretty sure we all know this one, but here's why this is important. Because during that time, the Egyptians had been enslaved by the, or excuse me, the Israelites had been enslaved by the Egyptians for over 400 years. So you have to put that in context, because what does this mean? Well, this means for over 400 years, these Israelite people who were enslaved by Egypt didn't have an opportunity to fully practice their faith. I'm sure they had conversations about who God is um, as best they could, but everything was very, very limited. And at that same time, for 400 years, they were getting the Egyptians consistently talking about the Egyptian gods. Oh, we have the, the sun god Ra, and he does this. We have this other god who provides for the crops. We have this other god who does the rain. We have this other god who is our fertility god. For 400 plus years, these Israelites are hearing about all these other gods who are are these powerful Egyptian gods. And when they're looking at them, and they look at things from a very logical perspective, they have to say, oh, well, we think our God is great. However, our God seems to be getting trumped by all these other gods because we're in captivity. And these other gods are ruling over us at this moment through the Egyptians. So... Moses, when he began his, his testimony, or his work, excuse me, it begins in Exodus chapter 3, verse 10, when he gets the visit from God in the bush. There's no real indication that he started before then. He may have known who God was, and probably did on a logical sense, but there's no indication that Moses was actually a follower of God before then. However, what this shows us is then this means that the books, the book of Genesis was written sometime before the plagues, when Moses got his calling at the burning of the bush, through to when he died in exile. So we know specifically that he is talking, or that the message is targeted at this group of Israelites that had been in captivity and were wandering around in this desert. So why is this important, and what is the point that we're trying to get out here? The point of Moses' story, and many of the stories that Moses tells to the Israelites, is to point out the fact that there is one single God who reigns supreme above all. When they're looking at all the other gods of Israel, or excuse me, of Egypt throughout the land, and they have to compare them to Moses, who's saying, there is this one God, they're like, why do we, why do we follow this God? And Moses is saying, look, you guys don't understand the fact That there is one God who reigns over every single thing and controls every single thing. We see this in the ten plagues even. You take the ten plagues, and you may have heard this before, but you could take every single one and match them up against another God of Israel. The water of the Nile turning to blood was against Happy, the God of annual flooding. Uh, The frogs were also against Happy and Heget, who had the head of a frog and was related to fertility. The lice was against Seb, the earth god. Uh, The flies that came in swords was against Hathor, the goddess of protection. Vashti, the fly god. 
When the livestock died, that was against Apis, the bull god. Boils on the body were against Shechemet, goddess of epidemics. Hail and fire were against Nut, the sky goddess, and Seth, the goddess of storms. Locusts were against Cyrus, the god of crops, and the protector of crops. Darkness was against Ra, the sun god. And the death of the firstborn was against Heget, goddess of birth, and Min, the god of reproduction. The point is, is that every single one of the events of the plagues were targeted at a specific God to show that the one Hebrew God was the one God that reigns supreme over all and that every other God is beneath him. The same story applies to creation. The whole point of creation, again, is to prove that there was one God that reigned above all. You see, the story of creation in Genesis chapter 1, it's a poem written by Moses to beautifully explain that. So what does this mean then in relation to the actual creation story? The six days more specifically, the seven days when you include the day of rest, what does this mean? Well, again, before we jump into that, you have to look at the historical context of that, and you have to look through the rest of the Bible. And the first question I ask myself is like, okay, when are these other six days referenced in the Bible? Because this will help us give a context to what this looks like. In the entire Bible, there is one single author who mentions the six days of creation, and it's Moses. He mentions it a few other times in Numbers, Deuteronomy, Exodus, but he is the only author to mention the six days of creation. And he does it every single time with a very specific purpose. Every single time he mentions the six days of creation, he does it to build up to the seventh day to emphasize the point of the Sabbath. Every single time. He never just sits back and says, oh, hey, by the way, in six days the world was created. God is powerful. No, he says, God created the world in six days, and on the seventh he rested. That is the point. Keep the Sabbath holy. Every single time that Moses mentions it, except for the very first story. So then, I went to the next logical step of, all right, let's look at just the seventh day then. If this is the point that's building off of this, maybe this will tell us a little more. So I looked up all the references that mentioned the seventh day as well. And again, every single one is talking about the Sabbath. The seventh day is the day of rest. Remember this. Keep the Sabbath holy. The seventh day is the day set apart for God. Keep the Sabbath holy. There's only one mention in the entire Bible where the seventh day is not mentioned towards the Sabbath, and it's actually by Paul in the book of Hebrews. And Paul takes it in a, in a different context. Paul says we have not entered the seventh day yet. He says the seventh day is the day of rest when we rest with God. And he was using this to emphasize the importance of following Scripture. He said the Israelites of the Old Testament who had the word of God did not follow it, so therefore they did not enter God's rest. But you who are followers in the New Testament who have seen Christ die and raise again, you have the scriptures, and if you follow it, you will enter God's rest. So this is all seems a little confusing to me because when I look at all these different days, they're used in different contexts. Seven days used to emphasize Sabbath, but Paul says it's to emphasize the fact that we're not in God's rest yet, but it says the seventh day has been completed when God created the earth. So if it's been completed, how are we not in it yet? And it puts you in this point where if, if you don't look at the context and understand understand the importance of why the story of Genesis was written, you could really put yourself in a spot where you are very much compromising on your faith. And why do I say that? Because you are compromising your lack of information saying, I do not care to learn as much about the Bible, or I'm just going to take this at face value and apply it to a context that it does not fit in. And that's where we get very, very dangerous with the Bible. If any of you have gone to any study of the Bible on any in-depth uh, level, which I'm sure all of you have at some point in your life, you realize that when you look at a story, it is impossible to take one single story of the Bible and just pull it out of complete context and say, this, is, this alone stands as it is. Every single story of the Bible fits beautifully in with the rest of the Bible and paints this wonderful picture of who God is and how he works. And so we have to do the same here. 
We can't just take this six-day creation and step out and say, okay, this, this is my absolute. This is exactly how the world was created to a scientific standpoint, and this is what we are going with moving forward. So, at this point, it's kind of, all right, Philip, congratulations, you've come up, you've muddied the water. And I thought it'd be kind of funny just to end the sermon here and leave you all confused, but I figured Tyler would not have me back anymore, which, you know, I'd like to come back. It'd be great. The breakfast is phenomenal. Tyler's a way better speaker than I am. I enjoy listening to him. So where do we go moving forward? Well, this is where we get to have fun. We get to talk about the Big Bang, and I'm excited for this. So candidly up front, let me just be clear. I believe the Big Bang happened. I do, genuinely. But I believe I also know the guy who banged it. So that's a plus for me as well. And uh, let me try to convince you guys that the Big Bang happened as well. I I believe that it did. So first off, like as I said, I don't want to deceive you. Uh, I believe it happened. But here's how we know it happened. It's an acronym called SURGE, S-U-R-G-E. I stole this from my ministry man crush, Frank Turek. Uh, He's an apologist who goes around different campuses, uh, talks to students and atheists all over the world. The man is uh, nothing short of a genius. And he came up with this acronym. It's called SURGE. The S in SURGE stands for Second Law of Thermodynamics. The U stands for the universe is expanding. R stands for radiation afterglow. G stands for great galaxy C's. And E stands for Einstein's theory of relativity. Don't worry if you're a note taker. I will go through each of these. The second law of thermodynamics, the S, what does this mean? The second law of thermodynamics states that all heat will go to the cooler source if put next to one. So what does this mean? It means that the, the, the galaxies, the, the universe is cooling. So for example... If I had two cups of water, one that's really hot and one that's really cold, if you pour them together, you don't get a separation where all the energy from the cold water then goes to the hot and makes it hotter and there's an even cooler water on the bottom. It mixes. It all becomes cooler because the heat goes to the cooler object. It's the same idea with the universe. Why is this important? Well, this shows that the universe cooling off must have started at a very hot point, which points towards a beginning of the universe. The second letter, U, universe is expanding. Now, there is no direct spot where the universe began for reasons that we're not going to get into because they're just not important at the time. Uh, If you want to talk to me after that, I'd very happily talk about it. However, the whole point, again, the universe is expanding outwards. What does this mean? It means that it must have started from one point together. It's showing again that there was a beginning of the universe. The R stands for radiation afterglow. More specifically, it's the cosmic microwave background radiation. That's a tongue twister. I'm, you know what? I saw that. That was one of those things where I was like, hey, this is cool. I need to share with you. It doesn't, doesn't mean anything. Anyway, what is radiation afterglow? Radiation afterglow is the oldest light in the universe uh, from what we can detect. It's something that showed us, for example, that atoms were formed roughly 300,000 years after the Big Bang happened. Um, Again, what does it do? It shows and points us towards the fact that the universe had a beginning. G, the great galaxy seeds. Uh, Galaxies that are still forming today, quote unquote. Uh, It's actually galaxies that have formed, but it's light that has been uh, millions and billions of light years away from us that has gotten to us at this point. So we're able to look essentially into the past and see the formation of galaxies. What does this do? Repetition. Again, it points us to the fact that there was a beginning to the universe. And then E, Einstein's theory of relativity, which, believe it or not, states that the universe had a beginning. What's funny about this fact specifically is that Einstein didn't want to believe that the universe had a beginning. So he threw a little fudge factor into his equation. He divided by zero. You can't do that. He threw that in just so he didn't have to come to grips with the fact that the universe had a beginning. And once he did that, he came out with a quote where it said, science without religion is lame as if it cannot stand. 
and religion without science is blind. And that statement, I believe, is so true. But the point of that is that when you see science and creation, it all points back towards the same exact thing, which is that there was a beginning. So where do we go from here? Well, it's great. Okay, we have a beginning. But then the, the question that follows that is you ask yourself, well, what happened before the Big Bang? What caused the Big Bang? Because maybe that will explain it. At least if I'm looking from just a scientific standpoint, maybe if I understand before what happens the Big Bang, I don't have to come to grips with the fact that there is a God. Because if there is a God, then everything happens on purpose. And therefore, there are inherently consequences to the way I live because I am created with a purpose and for a purpose. So maybe if I understand what happened before the Big Bang, I don't have to come to grips with there is God. So what happened? Well, the current running theory is that there was another universe, and the universe expanded faster and faster and faster, much like our universe is doing. And eventually it expanded so fast that it collapsed in upon itself, and all the energy came upon one single point. And then that point expanded and became the Big Bang. But, but you see the issue with that. Let me step back to this other universe. Well, how did this universe start? Well, there was a big bang. Well, how did that universe start? Well, another universe expanded, then contracted, and created the big bang. And it's just this repeating cycle where it doesn't actually answer the question, but postpones it. Because there are three things that had to come into existence at the exact same time in order for the universe to actually happen. Space, time, and matter. These, things all, these three things all had to come into existence at the exact same time in order for the universe to exist. Why? Because if you had space but no time, when would you put it? If, if you had time but no matter, what would you put? And if you had matter but no space, where would you put it? See, you have to have all three of these things happen at the exact same time or the world, the universe, could not exist. So this then means that whatever created the universe must be spaceless, must be timeless, and must be immaterial. I think you could see where we're going with this. There, we believe in a God who is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He exists outside of time. He knows beginning to end. And he is not a material being. If you look in, in Revelation, even other stories in, in the Bible, yes, God manifests himself in physical forms throughout the, all the Old and the New Testament as well. But when they're coming to God and they see him on his throne, they describe him in the weirdest of ways. God's glory is like smoke that filled the room. Glory is not a physical thing. But yet that is an attribute of God. People often try to, like you see it in the, in the prophets of the Old New Testament. Again, they try to give physical attributes to describe God, but they can't because he's not a physical being. Everything about the whole creation story and the Big Bang points back towards God being the creator. And it's one of the most beautiful things in the entire world that I absolutely love. See, you don't need to be afraid of these scientific discoveries that come your way. I mean, think back to the Catholic Church back in the early centuries. They had a similar stance where they were just like, I don't want to have to deal with the reality of science, therefore I'm going to step back. Uh, they, they didn't like the idea the world is round. How many of you don't believe in God because the world is round? That's right, none of you. Like, these aren't issues that come between you and your faith. These are things that should expand your faith. When you look at the specificity that it takes for the earth specifically to be a place that is inhabitable by you, it is so, so specific that it's impossible to look at it and say there's not a God. If there was less lightning, if Jupiter wasn't where it was, if the axis of the earth was tilted a few degrees in any direction, if we were further away from the sun or closer to the sun, each one of these things specifically, if one of them were off, we'd be dead. 
We would not be able to inhabit the earth, yet the earth is so perfectly habitable for us that it's beautiful. You look at Romans chapter 1, and, and, and Paul's writing, and he says, There is no excuse for anyone not to know God just by seeing him through his creation. And it's one of the things that fascinates me about science, because as I study it more and more and more, you learn so much more, and you get to see these intricacies. Like, you're, you have more DNA in your body that could stretch to the moon and back. That's a long way. And God loves you. Like, specifically, he made you so beautifully intricate. And he loves you for it. And, and it's one of the things that blows my mind and gets me so excited about Christ because it's like the mind it would take to get you to this point is wonderful. It's like, why would you even want to discount that? Why would you look at, at, at a field that God created? Like, again, science is just the study of God's works. Even non-Christians understand the fact that what God created is fascinating. You have atheists go their entire lives fascinated with what God created. They can't put two and two together, but they see it and they're like, I want to study this. There is something about this that just, that just excites me. And it's the same way for me. And I'm sure it's the same way for a lot of you. I know a lot of you, although I'm not a hiker, a lot of you like to go out and go hiking. I want to be in nature. I want to see the beauty of God. I want to be close to God. That's the ultimate point of it all. It doesn't matter. Do you go out there and, and into the woods and say, oh, man, if this, if this tree is really, like, a really old, if the earth was actually 3.4 billion years old and the universe was, oh, man, God looks a lot uglier. Uh, the world must have been created in six days. If it wasn't, my God really isn't that powerful. Like, no, you don't say that. You see what's there, and, and you understand the point when you're out in nature, and you say, the point that matters is that my God created it. The point that matters is that my God who orchestrated everything cares so much about me specifically that he created a place that is inhabitable for us. David prays this in his Psalms all the time. He said, thank you, Lord, for making a place that we can inhabit, that we can live. You orchestrated this for us. Like, that's the point. When you read these stories in Genesis throughout the Old and the New Testament, you have to understand the point. Every story isn't meant to give you this, hey, let me tell you the logical aspects of what happened in this specific timeline. No, it's a show relationship between Christ and us. He cared so much about you, he's willing to build this earth. Now, out of all this, I do have to say one thing. There is one caveat to this Big Bang Theory, and it is the fact that although it proves that there is a God and points to the fact that there's one creator of this entire universe, it doesn't actually show the fact that it is our God. And that is something that I want to say because I don't want to deceive you and have you go out into this discussion and say, well, you could prove that the Christian God is real through the Big Bang. You can't. It's just the reality of the situation. However, you could look at that and start to fit the pieces together. But in order to prove that our God exists, you must do what Tyler talked about either last week or two weeks ago, as through the death and resurrection of Christ. When you have that, you get the New Testament, because obviously Jesus validated the New Testament. Jesus validated the Old Testament, so you get the Old Testament along with it as well. But understand, when you talk about creation, the point isn't to win someone over to Christ in that moment. You can't convert anyone to Christianity through debate. As much as I know that, I've tried. I'm not going to pretend I haven't. I've gotten heated arguments with really close friends trying to be like, you just don't get it. Let me convert you to Christianity. You want to talk about the Big Bang? And they're like, no, not really. And I'm like, well, let's hear about it. And so we have a conversation. And they don't walk away thinking, oh, boy, he really had a good argument. Can't wait to go to church on Sunday. So then what's the point of apologetics and all of this then? 
It's to plant a seed. It's to open a door. Because you have to look at people in the same way that God does as well. You have to understand that a lot of these people who have this as a barrier, it's not just to break down a barrier. You're not just saying, oh, let me open your eyes to something new. You have to understand that these people who are people who are walked away from God. One of the other promises in Romans chapter 1, which is a scary promise, is that God says, if you want to walk away from me, I'll let you go, and I will harden your heart against me. So when you're having these conversations with people throughout uh, your time with these apologetics that we're going through, that I'm going through, that Tyler's going through, you're talking to people who have their hearts hardened. Your job is to get in there and start to soften their hearts. Anytime I have a conversation with someone, I go in with the same prayer every single time. God, please give me words to speak that are yours, not mine, and Lord, soften their hearts. So when you do have those conversations, you're planting a seed. You're making them start to question. Oh, shoot. This guy says the big bang points towards God. It kind of does. Hmm. I don't really have an argument. I don't want to believe in a God, so I'm going to go home and I'm going to reject him. But, but it's just there. It's just lingering a bit. I don't get it. This guy, Jesus, he came, he lived, and he died for us. I don't want to believe it, but everything points towards him coming back and being alive. I don't want to believe it. And it may not. It may take a lot of other apologetics things to start softening their hearts. And, and hear me out. I've actually very rarely heard stories of people being converted to Christianity through apologetics. However, time and time again, what I have heard is that people have told stories of, yeah, someone approached me and we had this conversation about, about Jesus' life. Someone told me about the, the validity of the scriptures in the Old and New Testament, how it wasn't just some made-up story. But it was when I had this relationship with this one person, and I saw the way they treated their wife. I saw the way they treated their husband. I saw the way they treated their kids. I saw the way that they lived, and that's what set them apart. You see, those change people's lives when you, you get to see the love of God played out. But oftentimes, you don't even get that opportunity if you're not able to begin to step in and have these conversations. So out of all this, again, what are we trying to get out of this story today? First off, do not be scared of science. Science is beautiful. It's a reflection of God's work to an extent and put into words that you never will be able to get anywhere else. And I love it. And secondly, you're going to have those conversations. And you need to have answers. If someone comes to you and says, I believe in the Big Bang and you believe in six-day creation, I don't want to listen to you. Even if you walk away and you're like, you know what? Philip, that was cool. I think you're wrong. Then that's great. That's fine. This isn't a hill to die on. But you need to be able to have that conversation. If someone walks up and says, I believe in the Big Bang, and you don't, you can't just say, eh, you're going to hell. You can't. You may not say it with your words, but if you're like, well, I don't want to have that conversation, or you're just dumb, and you're wrong, then you're essentially saying the same thing. So you need to be able to have the conversation and say, well, I disagree. However, if you believe that, you're still pointing towards God. That's the ultimate point. Everything that was created on this earth no matter how it was created, was created by God. No matter which explanation you want to go towards, you get the same result. There was nothing, that nothing turned into something, and there was someone who created that something, and that someone was God. Will you pray with me? Dear God, thank you for this opportunity that we have to come together, Lord, to have these conversations, to be able to learn, to grow together, Lord. God, I pray that as we go through this apologetic series, I pray that you put someone in our lives where we get to have a conversation with them. 
I pray that these weeks aren't just something where we get to store information in the back of our mind and never get to use it, Lord, but I pray that you challenge us. I pray that someone comes in with a hard heart and they don't want to hear about God, but they want to have a conversation and argue. And I pray that through that, you give, you give everyone in this room this peace. I pray that you give everyone a patient heart and they're able to have a conversation and begin to soften hearts and begin to plant seeds. And Lord, then I pray that you come through and that you knock. I pray that you visit each one of these souls and help them show or see that you are Christ. Lord, we love you and we honor you. I pray that you bless us throughout this week and we pray all things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Garage Podcast. We hope the message has made you think deeper about faith and will strike up new conversations as you go about your week. If you want to hear more messages like this, make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Have a great week.